one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Telford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Telford. Josh Brown, my friend, remakes, remasters, conversations on doing a game again or doing the rounds after the Red Dead Redemption. Quote unquote remake, quote unquote remaster, port of a 13 year old game. Of a thing. Is doing the rounds. Um, yeah, this game has been revealed as a port of a 2010 original on the Switch, and there's a version going to be on the PlayStation 4. Kind of begging the question of what actually needed to change. Is it just the, can you just play one of the best games of all time again, or does something else need to happen to it? Remakes are a bit of a thing. They are. And bit I know you you and Ewan have done the news <laughs> on the Red Dead part this morning. But what I can't get over about that is its price tag. Yeah. You know, if it was just like a regular part and it was released at a discounted price, I would say, what's everyone up in arms about? But mm. the fact that they're selling that for 50 Dollars to me is crazy when it is just a part, and it's a part of an old game um, made for now old machines. Like the fact that yes. it doesn't have a PS5 native um, version to no. me is boom, the only quote unquote PS5 version is the PS4 one running on a PS5, like Cyberpunk did. When someone, uh, oh, it would have been you, and sent hmm. me it yesterday, and it said, you know, Red Dead Redemption coming to Switch and PlayStation 4, hmm. I thought. This must be old. Someone's trying to pass <laughs> this off. Like, surely that already has to be on PS4 in some form. I just, it is not. I don't know, because we're going to get into a wider conversation about, like, just the, the remake obsession that the industry kind of has. I would argue that entertainment entertainment industries kind of have at the minute. It's yeah. just like, either you're sequelizing something that's ancient, like The Exorcist over in the Hollywood realm, or you're trying to remake something that's old because there's already an inbuilt fan base, so there's already an inbuilt set of mechanics or whatever it is. I saw Ben Starr, um, uh, the voice actor for Clive Rossfield, Final Fantasy 16, saying that he would love to voice uh, Raziel if they remake Soul Reaver. And it's like, it's just in the conversation all the time. What if we brought this back? What if we did this again? How much would you have to change? And obviously in gaming, you can update mechanics. You can update uh, feels of games, etc. Um, but in Red Dead's case, 2010's Red Dead Redemption, at least for me, is I, I almost said the greatest game of all time. It's up wow. there with The Last of Us. I would say it's it's in the top five or something. like Top five Which is hilarious because I didn't mention you it. you didn't mention no, it. No, <laughs> I'm thinking about this now. But uh, I love Red Dead Redemption 1. Clearly not enough, otherwise I would have mentioned it when we did our big breakdown. But I love Red Dead Redemption 1 a lot and I think this game is immaculately put together. I love all of its various comments on, um, you know, um, civil, I was going to say civilizations, but just how people live with each other yeah. um, over time. I think that stuff has a really good core to it. And it's, one of, it's just that question of like, if you're going to bring that back, do you do the Red Dead Redemption 2 treatment or essentially the Last of Us 1 Definitive Edition style treatment where you upgrade the feel of it or is it okay to just make that game available? I prefer the latter, but I get the argument for the former. I like 
I, I think I've said this before. Mm. I like both. You right. know, when a game is remade, I almost never want it to replace the original. Mm. I want that original to be as accessible as the remake is. So if this port exists in its current form, mm. I'm fine with that. I disagree with the price tag, but yep. I like that it's available in more or less its current form. And if they did ever remake it, I would want that to complement this version mm. and kind of sit alongside it. And I just think we're in a strange position right now where everyone kind of wants something different out of mm. remasters and remakes. I know we have, we've had discussions for literally years at this point, <laughs> since 2017 with the Crash Ensign trilogy of oh, God. what do we both that get? What culture game is game of the year? Quite like Crash <laughs> Ensign trilogy, is it? Yeah. Questions over what do each of us get out of remakes? And I know mm. from even what you know we've talked about this year with Resident Evil 4 and you looking forward to new things rather than revisiting old things. Like <laughs> I get a lot more out of remakes, right. even if the changes are only tiny and granular than I think you do. And I think that's interesting because when remakes are so ubiquitous now, even more so than they were in 2017, mm. that our end-of-year Game of the Year list is probably going to have a handful of them in there. And yeah. I think that's quite interesting because we used to um, question the eligibility of remakes being involved at all. <laughs> and I kind of want to reheat a bit of that today yes. because... Um, I think it's interesting ground, especially in this year, which, like mm. you said, is so sequel-heavy, it's so remake-heavy, it's so reimagining-heavy, and is so porting-heavy. Well, I'll tell you what, there's like there's such a timeline to this, because if you go back, let's say you go back about 10 years, you go back across the 8th generation, and you look at the... Um, I remember when the prototype remasters came out, yeah. um, or Marvel Ultimate Alliance was getting a re-release, and it was just touched up to HD, and that was a remaster, and it was done. And then 2017, you had the Crash Trilogy and the Spyro Trilogy and the Crash Team Racing uh, re-release, which then brought tracks in from Nitro Kart and everything else. And they were completely overhauled visually. They look a lot more uh, modern, uh, but it retained the the same nav mesh, the same guts of the levels and everything. They just changed some of the physics. It's, at the time, it was very like case by case. It was like, well, what do we even call this? It's kind of a remake, but it's also a remaster because it's mostly just visual. The guts of it are the same. Yeah. And then we got the Final Fantasy VII remake, which was then, at the time, they referred to it as the uh, reimagining project. But it had about three different names as it was being uh, rolled out beforehand, but that was a complete ground-up, literal reimagining of the core beats of that story in a completely different way. And then, like you said, different people want different things. Yeah. Dead Space is one from this year, is mostly the guts of the original one, but it plays way more modernly, as a word, um, and it adds different things to the level design, and like it sort of makes it work for a modern horror audience. And I love the little tone changes there. I think it makes it way more like genuinely terrifying. And like yeah. the game mechanics that are in there about using power to choose whether you want the lights on or not is a really cool idea. And so, like, it's just it's just different. It's weirdly like gradiented approaches to how do you reapproach an old thing. Yeah. And for me, it's weird because my mind's eye version of the game has already updated it, and it runs perfectly in my head for I'm thinking of an old game. So, for ostensibly, if you're going to re-release something like uh, Crash uh, Three Warped or whatever, I still kind of want that polygonal look. I just want it to run as smoothly and as immediately as my head version does. Yeah. So, I think it's a weird thing. So, like, it, it just depends what kind of uh, energy you're trying to sort of connote with an old game. It depends whether it needs it as well. That's it. Um, yeah. And whether maybe there were technological limitations at the time that meant that like the devs couldn't do a certain thing, but now they can. I love as another one to throw in here. I love the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I think them adding all the DLC just as standard. It was like they missed like two packs, but most of it was in there. Um, it just meant that you were then playing the definitive story that arguably they would have done if EA didn't slice all these different parts of it Good across point. development. So there's a way to do it that way, where it's almost like a director's cut thing, which yes. again is what Sony's version of this is. Yes. So 
all of it at once, to be honest. This is it. There's so like the, the, <laughs> the topic itself is so broad. It's actually difficult to get into any one thing. I guess I would go back to what you mentioned there mm. about Crash Warped, for instance, and the polygonal look of the time yeah. versus the, the, the makeover it got for the Insane trilogy. Because yes. again, not to go into these old arguments, but I remember my argument at the time for loving or wanting Crash Insane trilogy to be on the Game of the Year list was that for me that visual overhaul even though the game mostly plays the same, mm. felt so substantial and fundamentally changed how I experienced that game and the emotions that it conjured while right. I was playing the game that like it just felt like something entirely new, even though it obviously wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I still prefer the original games because I prefer the art style, yeah, right? I same. prefer the way Crash looks. I pre prefer the jagginess of it, the kind of... The edge it had to it. And yeah. I mean that metaphorically rather than literally because obviously it I is was going to say, edgy, I probably would mean it literally. I yeah. love uh, the edgy PS1 polygonal like art style or, uh, or the ability for that system to render stuff like that. That's it. And I think that's like a very... It's not a way that everyone would view video games in mm. their remakes, but I think it's a very valid way. Like, I can really sympathize with people who went into the Demon Souls remake mm. and kind of were a little up in arms about the design changes because even though they're so... Mm. All of them taken at once can really shift the atmosphere of a level or how you kind of experience it compared to the original. Mm. And because of that reason... That's why I don't think um, a game should ever fully replace kind of what came before and no. eliminate it entirely. Because even if it is 90% the same, maybe even 98% the same, mm -hmm. like that 2% is still important and it's artistically important as well because, you know, often that 2% was still included for a reason and I like to be able to compare and contrast those mm. rather than forget about it or kind of chalk it up to maybe limitations or whatnot. I'll tell you one, one thing that I'm just thinking of when it comes to like directly comparing old and new is that one of the only, uh, I don't even know what this is, remaster slash remakes that let you go between the two on the fly was the Halo Master Chief Collection. Yeah. And that game was obviously so lambasted because it literally took five years to get the online component working uh, reliably. But I love that idea and you just sort of like click the stick and you can go between the two and that game... Uh, um, it's literally rendering the original underneath the remake um, and you just kind of toggle between the two and it's a media. And I was yeah. like, that's such a cool idea. But at the same time, it's almost like a philosophical thing on behalf of the creators because how much do they want to remind you that you are playing the old game? Because in that case, you can only go between the two if they play exactly the same. And the, the physics and everything in the MCC were exactly the same. Um, and they only did the, the switch between thing on, uh, I think in Halo 1 and 2, but not 3. Um, but it's just one of those things where like, how much does a remake or a remaster need to replace the original? How much does the, do the creators fundamentally think the old one is done. Yeah. Um, I'm blanking on which IP it was. I think it's Assassin's Creed, actually. Um, all the Assassin's Creed uh, remasters or whatever, the Ezio, Ezio collection and the Assassin's Creed 3 remaster, Ubisoft delisted the original ones. Um, so if you want to play them, you now play the new ones. Same yeah. with Rockstar and the GTA Definitive Edition. And it will be the same with the Red Dead Redemption remake as well. Um, so not a remake, the port. But um, that whole thing of yeah. like it replacing stuff. I weirdly don't mind that right. because the guts, are, like it's, it's almost identical apart from a frame rate update. Obviously, the price tag's a problem. Yes. Um, in Red Dead's case. But I don't mind Ubisoft replacing Assassin's Creed 3 with Assassin's Creed 3 Remastered. Oh, that's interesting. Because it's so the same thing. It is, but also it isn't. And here's <laughs> where I think I, I kind of understand people maybe calling me nitpicky or saying I'm, right. I'm deep in it too much because even the subtlest changes, I think, are kind of... 
I like that they're there and mm. they meant something at the time and to eliminate them and replace them to me is almost sacrilegious because <laughs> I kind of think, what are video games? Are they a product that can be iterated upon that are only that we're only concerned of in like the broadest terms, the characters that are there, the yeah. narratives, the, the base mechanics? Or are they, oh, and I, I love to say it, <laughs> or are they a piece of art where every individual brush stroke matters and True. contributes to the whole. I definitely err on the latter side where Same. even if something is a mistake, it contributes to the overall feeling of something, the overall impact yeah. of something. And to kind of um, disregard those and say, you don't have to think about them. We we Time is best spent forgetting about that and thinking about the new version. That's where I can't fully get on board with it because... Um, because I'm nitpicky as hell. <laughs> no, no, well, it was me too, but I think it, it, I'm only mentioning Assassin's Creed as when that works because all, um, AC3 is an interesting remaster because they did go in and tweak like um, like depth of field and they changed some of the UI elements and they made some of the AI, the AI itself um, respond a lot better. So it's just a better version of that game's original vision. I think authorship matters here because I always think in this regard of like maintaining the original of Star Wars yeah. because obviously over the years people know how many things George Lucas changed with the prequels, but even the original Star Wars, like the original one that people saw in like, what, 76 or whatever it was, isn't yeah. what you now refer to as Star Wars. Like Jabba the Hutt was a dude and not the big slug. And so it's that thing. It's like, well, should we have maintained that? And I don't think it's up to us. I think it's the authorship side of it, which I think is interesting in Assassin's Creed's case because Patrice Desley had left by that point or has yeah. left by this point. Um, and he was the dude that obviously spearheaded um, Assassin's Creed alongside the rest of those teams. And so for me, it kind of just comes down to an authorship thing. Does it feel like you've, if the author is not available, does it feel like you've fundamentally altered the vision? Mm. Um, which was the case in Crash's case, because the, the attitude of that original, those original games just wasn't in the re remaster yeah. or remake. They're all the same thing. <laughs> um, but in Assassin's Creed's case, uh, in AC3's case, it still plays like AC3. That was the last game he worked on anyway. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where you can just fix the frame rate. You can just fix yeah. the draw distance. Um, and I, I don't know any real, other than just game preservation sake, why would you ever go back to the worst version from a few years prior? I'm so pleased you asked. Segway. over the weekend, that wasn't even planned. That was just <laughs> beautiful. Over the weekend, weirdly, coincidentally, considering we had this conversation, I watched this um, video essay mm. called Four Reviews of Different Games Called Resident Evil 4 by a channel <laughs> called, and I'm sorry for mispronouncing this, Surreal. Vasquez. Um, Vasquez? Vasquez. Probably. And it was a really great video about the GameCube original of Resident Evil 4, the HD ports mm. of it, um, the VR version of Resident Evil 4, and the most recent remake of Resident right. Evil 4. And they had this great thesis that I never thought about before, or had thought about, but couldn't quite put into words. Mm. And I'll definitely be referencing this video as we, as we go, where they were talking about the difference between the GameCube version and the HD ports. Like, the HD ports have absolutely replaced the original mm. now, because mm. you'd have to go out and buy a GameCube, and the original... You know, game to actually play that version. Mm -hmm. And while the bones of it are, of course, the same, you know, it's 99.9% .9 the same experience, they were talking about how the subtlest of tweaks in the presentation and even things like damage numbers on guns right. kind of changed people's perception of the game. Like, they were talking about how the GameCube original, even compared to these ports that came after... Mm. Was, was so much more of a survival horror game because, you know, something like the damage of the weapons was lower, the enemies felt more overwhelming, mm. the presentation was a little moodier. And I just thought that kind of granular change that we don't even think about. Like, no one else I've ever seen, t I've never seen anyone else talk about, like, the damage numbers <laughs> of the knife or the handgun in See, Resident yeah. Evil 4 compared to parts. Yeah. But it 
stuff like that is small under the hood changes that you wouldn't bat an eyelid at. Mm. But in this video is that well explained, has a feeling on whether something is survival horror or action. I thought I would, No, I think, I, I don't think they are granular changes. I think if you're going to change damage numbers, that changes like your approach to combat, how easy the combat is, how oppressive the overall atmosphere is or whatever, things like that. Um, yeah, I think like for me, it's just the only, the only time I'm not going to care, quote unquote, that you deleted an old version is if ostensibly the exact same version is available. It just runs a bit smoother. And yeah. um, the thing I thought you were going to get into there, which I guess we can chuck on the pile is, um, when games get remastered and they, it only really happened with Silent Hill um, where they remastered it so much they lost the fog. Actually it happened in Arkham Asylum as well because they um, got rid of the fog that was on the ground in the middle of Arkham Asylum um, because it was on new tech and you didn't need to have it and whatever. Um, obviously it was a technical limitation in Silent Hill's case but it was an artistic thing in Arkham Asylum and they just got rid of it. Um, but yeah, it's very rare that you bring an old game back and clean it up so much that it loses everything. It's definitely yeah. the, can be the case in horror stuff. Yeah. Um, I always think it's interesting when games have CRT filters yes. um, to try and simulate like an old um, TV. I always hate that because I'm like, clarity is what I want. Right. And so it just depends. It depends per genre in that case, just to give another variable. But horror works better when it's more obfuscating. Like it's yeah. very rare that it, horror works when it's clean. That's funny. Well, I'm pleased you said that as well. Because <laughs> it's another segue back into the video because that's another thing they mentioned. Obviously, like the GameCube original is is made, as they say, for like low resolution mm. TVs mm. and the atmosphere is different compared to the HD version. Like I don't actually love the HD version the way it looks because I think it is too clean. Right. I think it eliminates some of the visual muddiness that adds to the atmosphere. And that like does impact things such as aiming. Like yeah. they, they, they point out that in the GameCube original because the screen is like inherently fuzzier, it's harder to aim, which makes the um, <laughs> combat encounters more stressful. Yeah. It makes it more difficult. Whereas in, you know, if you're playing 60 frames per second or more in a modern version of the mm. HD port, like you have full control, you have full clarity, you know where you're shooting. It makes it um, experientially easier. And that's this... the stuff that I've been chasing this year since mm -hmm. I bought that CRT monitor, Scott Tilford, <laughs> and went back and dug the PlayStation 1 out. Because I'm like, these games, you know, they were made with limitations. Of course they mm. were. But they were also molded around those limitations. Like, they were made to look better on a CRT television than they were to look upscaled years mm. later on a HD television. They were made with specific controllers in mind, specific values that were definitely technical limitations, but were wielded as, like, artistic... Uh, Rush strokes again. Dude, honestly, I like, back to that. That approach, that 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 makes me like I love that whole thing. That's why I love the Atari 50 collection. That's why I've loved going through Final Fantasy One. Um, obviously, Final Fantasy One in this case it was the Pixel Remaster that I finally finished. But I have always uh, I had played the original Final Fantasy um, over the years. It was just one of those games that is so hard <laughs> to play the original now. Um, but it's one of those things where like you look at the what they were working with. I always love that. I always love playing an old game and putting myself in the headspace. Obviously, it's easier for certain decades than others. I literally wasn't on the planet in the 80s, yeah. but um, for 90s stuff and 2000 stuff, I think when you go back to something that you missed, like when I finally played Mario 64, um, like a few years ago, I was like, well, this is incredible. And I always knew that it was. I played little bits of it uh, when it first came out in 96. But I love getting myself into that headspace and just being like, oh, my God, look at how much they did mm. for this year. That was one of the things that blew me away about the Final Fantasy, uh, the original, like playing it now and just admiring their level design and the amount of different ways that they balance, um, you know, spell acquisition and enemy balancing and grinding and all that kind of stuff. I think that can really be 
that's one of the biggest arguments for keeping something exactly how it was. Yeah. However, um, to throw another spanner in the works, in Final <laughs> Fantasy's case, when you were mentioning with this video being all these different versions of RE4 being compared, um, I don't know the channel name, but there's a really, really great, very in-depth um, comparison of all the versions of Final Fantasy 1, because yeah. there's like 16 versions of it over the years, um, whether it be on the Game Boy or the PS1 or the original Famicom or the Wonder Swan or whatever. There's like tons of them. And every single one um, had Hironobu Sakaguchi dive back in and retweak the AI, retweak the, the damage amounts or when spells get acquired or whatever it was. And that's a fascinating thing because um, that idea of working with the limitations, if you were able to go back to that person, yeah. like would they free it up if they could is the is the most valuable um, thing that you're getting because of that limitation. Like, is it a happy accident that it ended up like that? Yes. And should that be preserved or not? It's interesting, man, because it also, I think you mentioned it a few times there, obviously, just then, mm -hmm. about, like, what did the author intend? I care about that, mm. but I care more about the finished product than what they intended. I like that they can go back and tweak things to how they initially might have wanted it to be with the, you know, benefit of hindsight or mm. the benefit of better technology. Mm -hmm. But even though it's them, it came from them, I would never want that to replace what they originally gave us. Because I think once something's out in the wild, and this is just the way I view things, it's almost not theirs anymore. It's it's ours. Mm. It's how we respond to it. It's a piece of art that is finished. And yeah, by all means, go and tweak it, re-release it, do, do a director's cut. Mm -hmm. But replacing it, I think that's when we get into George Lucas territory yeah, of yeah. Um, you you have, I appreciate and I respect your creative decision and uh, mm. direction in what you wanted to do. And I respect your ability to go in and change things. But to then pretend like what you originally created like sort of didn't happen, that's when I kind of think... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's what I don't like necessarily because that mm. thing existed. People responded to it. It had artistic merit. It had flaws, mm -hmm. but it, it shouldn't necessarily be scrubbed just because you wanted uh, 
um, you know, Jabba the Hutt to be CGI when <laughs> it was really just a man in a suit, you know? Yeah, if we're talking about the distinction between, like you said, it's it's gonna, always going to be case-by-case, case, game-by-game, but that whole thing of, like, what feels like a tweak and what feels like a replacement. AC3, just to round that off, always felt like a tweak. Yeah. Like, um, like, to the sort of the most degree. Like, you've changed UI elements and you've uh, made the gameplay smoother and everything else, um, but it still feels like a tweak. The guts of it, the vast majority of it is the same, as opposed to something like, um, when you were mentioning just Resident Evil in general, it made me think of Resident Evil 2. Like, the remake of that, obviously changes the way that you play that game entirely. It reimagines all the locations and everything. Same with RE3. Um, but that conversation around limitations being uh, having value reminded me of the tank control conversation oh, yeah. that Resident Evil fans like have had over the years. I'm, I think we are both huge defenders of tank controls. Yes. And when you were talking about the aiming in RE4 original being harder... There's, and this is a weird argument because you have to literally say it's harder to shoot zombies when it's a top-down tank control game. Yeah. But that adds to the horror of not being able to survive. Um, so I always like that. But yeah. it's like, it's, I, can, I can see the argument for like, well, look, I've, just, I've just died and I've got to go back 20 minutes to the save point. Oh my God, just let me play the game. And obviously we would say that is playing the game. But um, it's, yeah, that whole conversation on like, should you modernize it and make it... Um, you know, like uh, different attitudes towards things like difficulty change over time. Should you change that as well? Absolutely. I mean, you know, your friend of mine, Wanted Dead, has a <laughs> has an argument for this as well. Take the um, GameCube remake of the original Resident Evil and the later HD ports of that, the PlayStation mm-hmm. Four. I, I think definitely the later HD ports added in the ability to turn off tank controls and mm. just control your character with a full range of movement. Mm. And while I like that as an option, like I'm all for options in games, as you probably know, I like different versions, I like mm. different resolutions and whatnot. Final um, Fantasy 1, you can walk diagonally. <laughs> Incredible. Changes everything. The idea of like um, updating that mechanical system because it's more modern, it's, it's more accepted, and it's easier mm. to have, to not have tank controls. I think if that came as standard, I would definitely not like that game as much as I do because you, you, then you do, you rob it of a fundamental part of its horror, part mm. of its charm, part mm. of its gameplay mm. rhythm. Like, it's it's tackling the tank controls that is integral to the experience, in my opinion. Same with Resident Evil 4, where, mm. you know, it was a decision to make them to make Leon have to stop and shoot and stop and reload because it, it, it fundamentally changes the mm. rhythm of play. It fundamentally changes how encounters work, you know? I love it. So, I do too, I do. <laughs> and I like, again, I, li- I wouldn't mind it if that had an option to turn that off completely because as long as people get a chance to experience the game that's Mm -hmm. the most important thing to me but if we had a version say if we didn't get Resident Evil 4 remake but we got another part of Resident Evil 4 and they said you know what this time we're modernizing it Mm. we're taking out that we're going to allow you to move and shoot at the same time but we're not changing anything else and this is going to be the definitive version Mm -hmm. that's when I would be like oh no I'll tell you what's an interesting one in that regard is um, when they re-released Devil May Cry 3 on Switch and uh, and I think that's just called DMC 3 Definitive Edition but they added the gameplay mechanics of DMC 5 so that you can um, switch all your loadouts on the shoulder buttons which mm. I love um, and in that case, it's way better because then you're not you you have like Dante's full arsenal permission, um, and there's no real reason unless you had um, I forget who the creative director is the the well known dude Shinji Mikami yes. literally saying well I don't want you to have access to more than those weapons. Um, assumed that wouldn't have been greenlit for the definitive edition if you didn't want it. So like that made that game way better because then you can juggle someone with a blade and then switch to the nunchucks and keep them in the air and then you know switch between your firearms and everything else. But it, it made that game the guts the core. 
essence of that game yeah. even more fun because you're doing combos between your entire arsenal in a way that you couldn't back in like 2003. Yeah, I do champion that stuff. Mm. When, when when you get like ports like that or remasters like that or even massive remakes, it reminds me of um, how books are translated. Let me right. go on a bloody tangent. So <laughs> I read this book a few years ago called, uh, it's, it's just called Essays by Lydia Davis who has, who talks about like how they translate um, foreign language books into an English language okay. and how obviously, you know, not, if you just translated it one for one, it probably wouldn't function as the story. You'd lose something, mm-hmm. right? And obviously, these books, when they are translated into the English language, are often have different translators who bring their own interpretations and kind of subtly tweak things. Kind of like how you mentioned a good amount with uh, Metal Gear Solid I was 1. Just and yeah. Final Fantasy 7. And yeah. Final Fantasy with mm-hmm. their translators, right? And I feel like that way of translating a book, most translators will get, obviously the bones of it will be more or less the same. Mm-hmm. Like the core story is going to remain the same. The characterization is going to remain the same. But little word choices within you know, a sentence mm-hmm. can change the entire texture of that sentence, totally. can change its meaning, can change the uh, emotional things that it kind of brings to the surface. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, what I think about when I look at these ports where it's like, yeah, nothing fundamentally is changing. And you can say, Josh, what are you getting so worked up about if this replaces that? <laughs> because it's it, the characters are the same, the bones are at the same, you're getting quote unquote the same experience, mm. but it's like, it's the texture of it that I'm always concerned yeah, about because yeah. each new team, even if they're trying to be as faithful as possible, they're not... They just aren't that of, original team. No, they yeah. just are. Like they, even the original team isn't the original team anymore because well, they've done like, other things, right? And like subtle things are going to be different and mm-hmm. I'm all for that in different versions of games mm-hmm. in giving you different options. But it's, I keep going back to it. I don't want to keep repeating myself. Just take this as, as the norm of the <laughs> underlying of my argument from now on. It's when that vision is replaced and we lose this there's subtle textures that yeah. we I think all of that, and, this, and obviously neither of us are speaking with any sort of like conclusive approach to this, no. but I would be fascinated to pose that question to each individual. Yeah. Because um, I feel like in music, um, it was like Kanye, I th- it was years ago, but I remember he re-released one of his own albums. Um, I think it was on Jay-Z's service at the time on Tidal, um, where he went in and sort of patched out a verse and yeah. swapped it back in. So when you listen to the album after a certain day, it was his new, the new version. And as far as I know, that was the first time an album had been like live patched after it had been launched. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting because it's from more from the author's point of view and well, the creator's point of view, just saying like, well, this is what it always should have been. Mm. And this is what I want you to see. And they are saying that the other version is invalid. I think, that, like I said, if you post this to each individual creator, you'd probably get different answers nearly every time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, regional differences is like a whole thing. Cause then it's like, well, does it lose the essence of the text or whatever they're getting at? Something that's emerging at the minute. Um, I don't, her surname, but there's a Final Fantasy, um, so just a general reporter called Aubrey over on Twitter who shares various Final Fantasy things or Square Enix stuff and things like that. She speaks very fluent Japanese, so she's been going between um, the English translation of Final Fantasy 16 and the Japanese one, noticing all of the differences between the two. Um, Tim Rogers for Kotaku also did an incredible comparison yeah. um, between the, uh, the Western version of FF7 and the Japanese one and how massively different they are. Um, and how full of plot holes and everything the Western one is, um, and various different intonations and ways characters speak and everything else. Um, that's the kind of thing where, like, I would love uh, the proper, proper quote-unquote version of Final Fantasy VII uh, by the original writers to be released in the West with a better translation job. Because you could argue that every, everyone outside of Japan has never actually played the proper Final Fantasy VII, unless right, they speak yeah. fluent Japanese yeah. or can read fluent Japanese. Um, so I think that's always an interesting thing as well. But like you said, if you kind of just, like, draw like a, a bubble around the idea of like a finished initial finished work that's done yeah and um, that's the definitive thing because that's what was initially complete yeah then there is no real arguing with that like and th- that is to be respected as well yeah i think for me men- mentally it crosses over with patching stuff that's broken 
Um, and I guess they would say the the plot elements are broken and need to be fixed. Like we would be stuck with the original version of Jedi Survivor if we that's like it. just stuck with the thing that came out first. Well, absolutely, and that's kind of like the interesting to me distinction between it as like is it a piece of art or is mm. it a, is it a product first and foremost? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm never going to say don't patch Jedi Survivor. <laughs> you know, there's a definitely the original. a difference there between like is this game working as intended? Is like right. the the technology is it supporting it? I'm definitely only talking about like artistic changes here, not like I um, guess that would be the thing though, because right? it's like. Oh, no one's getting this story. We yeah. need to flesh it out. We'll add these scenes in. Ah, and then, well, that's it. And then it's like, well, then, then the broken story now works. And yeah. then they could make the case that it was always supposed to be like that. That would be my stupid distinction where I'd be like, that's no longer treating it as like a piece of tech. That's treating it as like a piece of art. Like, yeah. like you know, I wouldn't, if, if you went back and added scenes to Star Wars or anything, you know, a book, you know, wrote a new chapter, like it would change <laughs> everything that it... It, it, it is, and again, I'm not saying like you shouldn't do that. I think you should do that if you want to. It is just like we put the original out there, mm. and then we I, I, like with Mass Effect Three, for instance. Like I, I like that they added the extended cut, but I, mm. I, I, I don't want that to kind of ever overshadow, not overshadow, over fully replace the original. Um, in terms of access to it. I want people to go to the original Mass Effect 3 game. I'm not saying they should like it, but <laughs> to be able to experience it as it originally was and then go experience the extended cut of the original That's ending always funny. and kind of have that on top and then have that ability to, co- to compare and contrast. That's all I'm getting at here yeah. is to have that ability to compare and contrast mm-hmm. because I think movies have it, books have it. You know, you can get, get different versions, different uh, releases of books and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, but games don't really have it when it they argue in that video that I mentioned, like they can see a reality where in 20 years time, Capcom has stopped porting the original Resident Evil 4 mm. and just decided that the new Resident Evil 4 is now Resident Evil 4. Like that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, well, uh, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, there's so much that would then come into play because it would be talking about, you'd be deleting the merits of something as yeah. opposed to like getting something wrong, whether it be narratively, artistically or mechanically and then patching it or fixing it or rewriting it or whatever. In Mass Effect's case, in the Legendary Edition, which I guess they now say is, is the one to play, um, the extended cut is the ending. It's yeah. not even referred to as this thing we went back to and did. And in that particular case, that ending was so hated and so thrown together. And the more we found out about the reality of it was so ramshackle and everything that it quote unquote made sense for them to go back to it and do it properly yeah. because it felt like that ending was more of a victim of um, development time and the lack of like a unified vision for what the ending should be and then EA saying actually can you change it anyway yeah. and all that kind of stuff so um, in that particular case I'm like fine with them going back it's weird I don't really have like an overall thing it's definitely like per game yeah I mean I suppose the thing with me is that I want to stress because I feel like I've I've worked myself into a horrible tangent where I've come across <laughs> as like this this guy who's like, no, it's only the original that matters. And it's no, not- I, th- I think just, just before you say yeah. that, I think it's massively worth highlighting that though, because in a world that is obsessed with um, updating stuff and patching stuff in the gaming industry, yeah. Um, it is worth just saying and cherishing the original work that emerged from a team. Yeah. Like, and, and letting that be one of the most special things. And that's absolutely it. I'm not saying you should go to the, definitely not saying you should go to the original version of Mass Effect 3 and <laughs> praise it and say, like, this is the definitive edition. Like, everything that's come after is is different. It's not what the mm. author intended. Absolutely not. I want the original version of Mass Effect 3 to be available now and yep. to be still recognized now because I want people to criticize it. I want to be able to go <laughs> back to it, pick it apart, look at what it did right, look at what I personally got from it, what did you get from mm. it, and what not. Just that level of discussion because I feel like, you know, now with inaccessible games, and this goes back to game preservation, mm. you know, 
like, will we be talking about Resident Evil 2, like the original Resident Evil 2, in 10 years' time? And will we, will, will, will we be able to discuss it in that depth when so few people will have access to yeah. it? Yeah. And that's my, that's my that's main thing. That's kind of just like... Thing. I just as a comparison, I was like, that's kind of just ha- that has happened in human history for entertainment. Like we talk, if you someone mentions the thing, yeah. you'll go to John Carpenter's. They won't go to the black and white fifties one. It has replaced it. Yeah, um, and that's a different intent because, like you were saying about like the idea of, um, or I was going to posit the idea of, you know, you put a game out and it needs fixing, it does whatever, and then because you see this sometimes when games get announced, like you know, like um, Red Dead gets mentioned. And everyone thinks like, okay, they'll take the shooting from Red Dead 2 because it's weightier, it's arguably more satisfying, whatever. That's something to fix. That's something yeah. to amend for a new audience. That Not necessarily in that case because it was never a bad game, but if you have something that comes out and there's one part that people hate, like in Ocarina of Time's case with the Water Temple, when they put that back out on 3DS, they completely overhauled the Water Temple. Yeah. And they put lots of arrows on the, on the wall to show you it's this way, you can't get lost anymore. And they changed the way the menus work and everything. Um, I think that's valid because I guess for me, it's the authored side of it, but it is it is interesting going like, well, we have all this feedback about things people didn't like. If it was a movie and people hated the scene, yeah. it would feel more sacrilegious to lose that scene. Mm, but yeah. in gaming, it somehow feels a little bit more acceptable to patch it and fix it and refine it in a way. Yeah. Because it's almost like, and you get this across the board, you get so many devs holding their hands up with apology.jpg image going, oh, sorry, oh, is that what you wanted? Right, okay, cool, let's do this. Yeah. And everything becomes this weird de facto crowdfund thing, which gets further and further away from whatever the original version was. Yeah, I also support that. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's really valid as well. I like that they can <laughs> I do to back. a point, yeah. Yeah, I like that they can go back and like reinterpret it. It's it is just the the replacing mm. sort of element of it. Like, yeah, I definitely love it when a remake comes out and it blows everyone away and then people talk about it more than the original. I too like John Carpenter's thing more than the thing Same from another world. You know, I like the Resident Evil 1 remake more than the original Resident Evil. You know, there are definitely mm. remakes that I think have done things better. I guess um it's just about, again, it's just about access. It's like, yeah, people will refer to the thing as the original thing, but you can still go out and find what the original actually was, yeah. the movie that it was based on, the, sh- the story that it, it was based like on. It is like just an archival of, thing. I think so. Yeah, yeah definitely. Gaming just does not list its history. Nah, definitely it's not. It's not available. And I think that's that's where I think uh, a lot of like the publishers and a lot of the big wig execs kind of view them as products. You know, oh, yeah. Jim Ryan saying, why would anyone want to play an old Gran Turismo? Because it's history, Jim. Because it's <laughs> art. You know, you might, not, it might not be as good as the Gran Turismo games that are coming out right now. I'm not denying that. But mm. like, just to say... Why would anyone want to play this? To me, it, it views it as, as as a product to be disposed of. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's like him saying, and I get this argument. Like, why would anyone want to use an iPhone five in an era where we have iPhone fourteens? That right. tech is obsolete, and I don't don't necessarily agree with that fully, but I can see that kind of mentality of yeah, well, this is naturally naturally replaced it. Why would we go back? Mm. But I think I think it's kind of really underselling games as a as a creative platform to. Yeah compare them to something like an iPhone or a new laptop or whatever. I just think they're so different. And no, they people, are. They massively yeah. are. I mean, like, yeah, the tech industry or like anything with like an actual form factor is, if you, the, whoever invented the chair who yeah. got it wrong and then the person next to them did it again, you can actually sit down. I'm not bothered <laughs> about the one that you can't sit on anymore. It's um, it just, uh, yeah, I think anything that has, it's just going to be case by case. But in, yeah. re, in regards to artistic history, like gaming doesn't doesn't have that stuff listed. Like Nintendo, only this generation, um, oh, sorry, the last two generations with the Wii U stuff and the virtual console and now Nintendo Switch Online, which is a way smaller version 
version of what that thing originally was. Only they, only now have they started saying like, let's just make this easily accessible on a, on a bigger scale. Um, but it's always that weird thing, and I guess they don't really share the numbers on it. But it's that argument of like, ah, only five people are going to go back to this. Yeah. It's not worth it, quote unquote. It's not going to sell. It's, it's not. We're not going to spend the money to keep the servers online for this thing. And in uh, to bring it back to Red Dead's case, or just to add it in to their credit, Rockstar's credit, the servers are still online for the original Red Dead Redemption multiplayer because you can go play it on Xbox right now. Yeah. Um, you don't have to bother spending 50 pounds on the new version, um, which is just an interesting thing. It's like, how much do the companies, the server owners, whatever, eat that cost just for the sake of preservation? Mm. No one really steps in to do it. No. Um, like, you can argue that um, Amazon, being this like humongous behemoth of trade, is one of the only ways that they can have the biggest library of films on Amazon Prime. Like, nine times out of ten, if I'm thinking of something I want to watch, it's on Amazon. Yeah. Like, I haven't actually found a case when I've typed something and it's not been there. Yeah. Never on Netflix, because nothing's <laughs> ever on Netflix. Um, but it's always on Amazon. And um, and they, whoever's making that decision, they archive everything. Yeah. Like they just they just seem to agree with that, at least for now. At least and that's it, right? At least for now. Mm. I'm sure there could be a point where they kind of like just, just stop caring about yeah. that and kind of have a similar argument of well, how many people actually care about this? How many people? How many? How many times? Because Jim Ryan's argument, like, no one know? cares about PlayStation history. Absolutely, no one cares about this. Who cares about backwards compatibility? We're yeah. not going to do that just because five <laughs> people want them. And obviously, yeah, that's the argument. There is probably correct. There obviously aren't going to be as many players or as many fans who care about older games than people who care about new games, mm. and that is valid. But is it a valid reason to then disregard those old, those old games? I don't think so. It no. might not make business sense to keep them in. Um, you know, circulation. But if you're only, and this is where I get on me high horse again, but if you're only treating games as a business, then I think we're doing it wrong. Like, obviously right. it is a business. You're there to sell copies. You're there to make money. But if you're not v also putting that money back into the industry and supporting it as an art form mm. and a historical art form and like, you know, putting those pillars in, even if you're not making money off them, then we're doing it wrong, I think. Massively. I think. Well, I mean, that, that entirely applies to Jim Ryan. It's why I'm not like his biggest fan as a CEO. His direction for PlayStation has been very money hungry, has been very nakedly businesslike and has been very discordant of their own history. It's not like he's going out of his way to gather up, um, you know, an original Crash Trilogy or make it, you know, an entire PS1 collection. You could do a PS1 collection that was just a launcher from the PlayStation 5 dashboard the same way that Nintendo have an N64 launcher. Yeah. It's so effing cool on the Switch to just line up all those consoles and just dip into each of them. You can play the whole history of Mario, Kirby, Zelda, whatever you want, and every tile is just a nice little collection of that console. Yeah. I'd like everything to be on there, but at the same time, Nintendo, I think, are leagues ahead of how PlayStation and Xbox are doing it. Xbox have a nice middle ground. They're perfect for backwards compatibility. Um, you can argue there's not as many Xbox franchises to bring back, yeah. like Bionic Commando and Gears, or whatever, Fable and stuff. Um, they're all on there. Um, but they're not, you know, they haven't got as many consoles to tap into. PlayStation have way more. You can yeah. do a PS2 collection, PS1 collection, whatever, and they've, they've done very little with PS+. I mean, Plus. how many times have we seen even a part of a game come over, but especially a remake or a remaster, mm. and then they've delisted the originals? Yes. You mentioned it earlier about Assassin's Creed. They obviously did it when the GTA Definitive Edition came out, and then they delisted mm. the uh, Vice City San Andreas GTA 3 ports on uh, consoles. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, imagine if, imagine if movies did that. Imagine if... The 1990s Psycho shot for shot remake yeah. came out, right? And then they said, okay, we've remade it. We've kept the script. You know, we've kept the <laughs> same camera angles. Yeah, we've added new cast and we've made it in color. Uh, we've, we've released that. And also, 
we're destroying every copy of Psycho <laughs> 1960. You know what I mean? Like, it just wouldn't happen. It's yeah, why everyone hated, uh, hated Twin Snakes when yeah. it came out, because it was like, this is a worse version, even though it's beat for beat of the original, that minus is, the cutscene. That is a great example, Thank right? You. Like, imagine if they released Twin Snakes now, but it came at the cost of delisting mm. the original Metal Gear Solid. Like, that's becoming the norm, and that's what I can't get over. Mm. I might not like the Twin Snakes, but I like that it exists, mm. but I don't like it if it exists at the expense of what came before. And I guess that's my entire thesis. Here. No, yeah, I back that. It's uh, like you said, it's an availability thing. And I think a lot of just, I don't know, thinking about the industry, realizing how money grubby the video game industry is, it's so easy to then be like, well, why would they? It doesn't make the most financial sense. Look at how much money they're grabbing for in every other location. Um, there's no way these guys who are making the Suicide Squad, the Anthems, the whatevers, would care about listing Bishy Bashy Special on the PlayStation Store, even though that would please just me. <laughs> and so it's one of those things where, like, yeah, it, but they just should. Yes. It's almost like a, a basic thing. You just should. Yeah. Um, and then the idea of, like, replacing stuff is where it can get really, really weird and bad. But I think, it, for me, it's always case by case. It depends what you're losing when you lose that other game, which is why I mentioned Assassin's Creed 3 in the first place, because it's so similar. Any other angles you want to mention, I Josh don't know. Brown? I think that's it. I definitely recommend that Remix. video that I mentioned before, because I thought I found it very enlightening, and yeah. it put a lot of my own thoughts um, into... Uh, it managed to... Well, I can't even do it. I can't even, speak. <laughs> can't even speak. It managed to make me understand a lot of the disparate things that I was thinking about um, remakes. And I guess another realization that I had when talking to you is when... You know, people rightly say, do we need this remake? It's just a lick of paint. Right. I want to get pretentious again because I would say it's not just a lick of paint. If you're remaking something or even remastering, but mostly remaking, <laughs> it's an entirely new painting, right? And yeah. even if it's based on the same painting, it's going to be different. The Last of Us Part 1 is, is a new painting of <gasps> The Last of Us, and I know I'm getting completely off of this tangent. <laughs> Copying homework. Um, it absolutely is. But... Um, I think that's still valid. Like, The Last of Us Part 1 is is experientially a little bit different to The mm. Last of Us 1. You will relate to those um, character designs a little bit different. You'll mm. relate to those environments a little bit different. And it, to me, it's more than a fresh coat of paint. It's mm. something entirely new, even if it's also not. Yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> Last of Us was fascinating. I forgot that even happened. <laughs> I forgot they did the whole double remake thing. Um, but yeah, they can have different receptions. They can end up getting different like uh, versions of the fan base or different like just general sort of conversations in general. General conversations in general. My mind is falling apart, which is another way to say this is the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. God, this is the most indulgent one I've ever done. I'm so sorry. <laughs> there is no other way to do this podcast. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.